Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This discussion is going to be regarding 3rd Nephi chapter 19. So Jesus has been with the, with the uh, Nephites for a day, and uh, he's now departed, and it's, that, it's at nighttime probably, and uh, the people are heading home. Uh, but not everybody's going to sleep, so we'll see what happens. In verse 1, Now it came to pass that when Jesus had ascended into heaven, the multitude did disperse, and every man did take his wife and his children, and did return to his own home. And it was noised abroad among the people immediately, before it was yet dark, that the multitude had seen Jesus, and that he had ministered unto them, and that he would also show himself on the morrow unto the multitude. Yea, and even all the night it was noised abroad concerning Jesus. Hugh Nibley said, Now there's a reminder of that exciting passage where it says that night, no man slept. It's like Christmas Eve, the tremendous excitement about the getting or about the great things that's going to happen tomorrow. Everybody is rushing around, spreading the news. The Lord has finally come. He's going to be here tomorrow. The multitude dispersed. Everybody went home, but they didn't go to bed. A great thing is going to happen. We're going to receive a great gift tomorrow. We're going to get the gospel tomorrow. They're all excited about it. As I said, not a man slept. And insomuch that insomuch did they send forth unto the people that there were many, yea, an exceedingly great number, did labor exceedingly all that night, that they might be on the morrow in the place where Jesus should show himself unto the multitude. And it came to pass that on the morrow, when the multitude was gathered together, behold, Nephi and his brother, whom he had raised from the dead, whose name was Timothy, and also his son, whose name was Jonas, and also Methoni, and Mathonihah, his brother, and Cuman, and Cumanonhi, and Jeremiah, and Shemnon, and Jonas, and Zedekiah, and Isaiah. Now these were the names of the disciples, these are the twelve apostles, whom Jesus had chosen. And it came to pass that they went forth and stood in the midst of the multitude. And behold, the multitude was so great that they did cause that they should be separated into twelve bodies. And the twelve did teach the multitude, and behold, they did cause that the multitude should kneel down upon the face of the earth, and should pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus. I wonder if they maybe taught the Sermon on the Mount again to those that uh, were new in the, in the crowd, in the congregation. Uh, and when they had ministered those same words which Jesus had spoken, nothing varying from the words which Jesus had spoken, behold, they knelt again and prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus. And they did pray for that which they most desired, and they desired that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them. Elder Holland said, As Christ had not yet appeared to them for, the, for this second day, and because the Father and Son could not permanently be with them, or us in a telestial world, the next best companionship came from that member of the Godhead who can be with mortals permanently, the Holy Ghost. In their ministry, these newly called apostles could not always have the daily physical presence of the Savior with them. Nevertheless, because they were to lead the Church of Jesus Christ in righteousness and be witnesses of his name throughout the Nephite world, they would surely need the prompting, the protection, the revelation, and the comfort of that one who is the spiritual extension and telestial representative of the Father and the Son. In our own time, the prophet Joseph Smith was asked wherein the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints differed from other religions of the day. He replied that the distinction lay in the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that all other considerations were contained in that gift. In light of these experiences, ancient or modern, old world or new, perhaps all disciples of Christ, all members of his church, 
of his true church should pray for the influence and guidance of the Holy Ghost as that heavenly gift which they most desire. Elder McConkie said, This morning, if I might be guided by the Spirit, I would like to suggest to you a slogan, which in my judgment is one which will guide and direct and control and influence in all the affairs of our lives, in all things, both temporal and spiritual. In this, in, he goes on to talk then about his uh, experience as a mission president in Australia and how they, uh, that the Holy Ghost was a revelator and that it, was, uh, that it would guide them in all that they did. The greatest gift a man can receive in this life is the gift of the Holy Ghost, even as the greatest gift he can gain in eternity is eternal life. Ed Pinneger said, Why would the Nephites desire the Holy Ghost so fervently? Elder Parley P. Pratt answered this question when he described the extraordinary characteristics of this remarkable power. The gift of the Holy Ghost quickens all the intellectual faculties, increases, enlarges, expands, and purifies all the natural passions and affections, and adapts them by the gift of wisdom to their lawful use. It inspires virtue, kindness, goodness, tenderness, gentleness, and charity. It develops beauty of person, form, and features. It tends to health, vigor, animation, and social feeling. It develops and invigorates all the faculties of the physical and intellectual man. It strengthens, invigorates, and gives tone to the nerves. In short, it is, as it were, marrow to the bone, joy to the heart, light to the eyes, music to the ears, and life to the whole being. Verse 10, And when they had thus prayed, they went down unto the water's edge, and the multitude followed them. And it came to pass that Nephi went down into the water and was baptized, and he came up out of the water and, be and began to baptize, and he baptized all those whom Jesus had chosen. So Nephi was probably baptized by one of the other members of the Twelve, uh, because they all had been given priesthood authority, so they all were able to baptize um, in this new dispensation or this new organization of the church that's being set up. <clears throat> Verse 13, And it came to pass that when they were all baptized and had come up out of the water, the Holy Ghost did fall upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. After the crucifixion of the Savior, there came a new order of things. The law of Moses came to an end, and with it, sacrifice of animals ceased, and the fullness of the gospel was ushered in. Therefore, in this new order, it became necessary for all those who, who had been previously baptized to be baptized again. Therefore, in the new order, Jesus commanded Nephi to be baptized, and also the other brethren of the twelve. Following this, all of the people were baptized. The conferring of the gift of the Holy Ghost would naturally follow, except in the case of those who had been previously baptized and confirmed. That was by Joseph Fielding Smith. <clears throat> we have a similar condition in this dispensation. The prophet Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were baptized by command of the angel John the Baptist. Several others were baptized before the organization of the church. However, on the day the church was organized, all who had been previously baptized were baptized again, not for the remission of sins, but for entrance into the church. In each case, the reason was the same. Verse 14, And behold, they were encircled about as if it were by fire, and it came down from heaven. And the multitude did witness it, and did bear record, and angels did come down out of heaven, and did minister unto them. And it came to pass that while the angels were ministering unto the disciples, behold, Jesus came and stood in the midst and ministered unto them. And it came to pass that he spake unto the multitude and commanded them that they should kneel down again upon the earth, and also that his disciples should kneel down upon the earth. And it came to pass that when they had all knelt down upon the earth, he commanded his disciples that they should pray. And behold, they began to pray, and they did pray unto Jesus, calling him their Lord and their God. Jesus was present before them as the symbol of the Father. Seeing him, it was as though they saw the Father. Praying to him, it was as though they prayed to the Father. It was a special and unique situation that, as far as we know, has taken place only once on earth during all the long ages of the Lord's hand dealings with his children. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. 
Verse 19, And it came to pass that Jesus departed out of the midst of them and went a little way off from, from them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast given the Holy Ghost unto these whom I have chosen, and it is because of their belief in me that I have chosen them out of the world. <clears throat> Father, I pray thee that thou wilt give the Holy Ghost unto all them that shall believe in their words. So he's talking here about us, isn't he? Father, thou hast given them the Holy Ghost because they believe in me, and thou seest that they believe in me because thou hearest them, and they pray unto me, and they pray unto me because I am with them. It's interesting that in uh, the dedicatory prayer to the Kirtland Temple, Joseph Smith also prays unto Jehovah during that prayer. Verse 23, And now, Father, I pray unto thee for them, and also for all those who shall believe on their words, that they may believe in me, that I may be in them, as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one. Jeffrey R. Holland said, That is, of course, a variation on the great intercessory prayer Christ offered for his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion in the old world, praying that his followers might be unified with the Father and the Son, as well as with each other, and be taken from the adverse temptations and evil influences of the world. From the Savior's language, we see clearly it is the Holy Ghost that provides such unity, a doctrinal point not so clearly communicated in the New Testament account. Verse 24, And it came to pass that when Jesus had thus prayed unto the Father, he came unto his disciples, and behold, they did still continue without ceasing to pray unto him. And they did not multiply many words, for it was given unto them what they should pray. Elder Maxwell said, If we can achieve a significant milestone in discipleship, we will find that he that asketh in the Spirit asketh according to the will of God. Wherefore, it is done even as he asketh. In that stage of advanced allegiance, Jesus' disciples prayed not only without ceasing, but they did not multiply many words. Some of us seem to multiply words even in brief pro forma prayers. The above insights serve as sobering reminders as to how far that milestone, which marks pure motivation, is down the straight and narrow path. Yet what exquisite ecstasy awaits those of us who will press forward and so purify ourselves so that our behavior is based on Christ-like motives. Perfect prayers are those which are inspired in which the Spirit reveals the words which should be used. And they were filled with desire. Verse 25, And it came to pass that Jesus blessed them as they did pray unto him. And his countenance did smile upon them, and the light of his countenance did shine upon them. And behold, they were as white as the countenance, and also the garments of Jesus. And behold, the whiteness thereof did exceed all the whiteness. Yea, even there could be nothing upon earth so white as the, as the whiteness thereof. Verse 26, And Jesus said unto them, Pray on. Nevertheless, they did not cease to pray. And he turned from them again, and went a little way off, and bowed himself to the earth. And he prayed again unto the Father, saying, Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified those whom I have chosen because of their faith. And I pray for them, and also for them who shall believe on their words, that they may be purified in me through faith on their words, even as they are purified in me. Father, I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me out of the world because of their faith, that they may be purified in me, that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one, that I may be glorified in them. Elder Holland said, The beautiful prayer of the Savior recorded in 3 Nephi 19 may or may not have been heard or recorded by those who were present. Someone might have heard that prayer and recorded it, or the Master may have repeated it a second time for the historical record. But another possibility for such private declarations running throughout the Book of Mormon is that the Spirit simply revealed in every necessary detail what Mormon and we needed to know. Obviously, nothing was to be lost that would be essential to the Latter-day message, no matter how privately it may have been uttered initially. Verse 30, And when Jesus had spoken these words, he came again unto his disciples, and behold, they did pray steadfastly without ceasing unto him, and he did smile upon them again. 
and behold, they were white, even as Jesus. And it came to pass that he went again a little way off and prayed unto the Father, and tongue cannot speak the words which he prayed, neither can be written by man the words which he prayed. And the multitude did hear and do bear record, and their hearts were open, and they did understand in their hearts the words which he prayed. Nevertheless, so great and marvelous were the words which he prayed that they cannot be written, neither can they be uttered by man. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of praying, he came again to the disciples and said unto them, So great faith have I never seen among all the Jews, wherefore I could not show myself, or I could not show unto them so great miracles because of their unbelief. Verily I say unto you, there are none of them that have seen so great things as ye have seen, neither have they heard so great things as ye have heard. Just this one last comment by Millet McConkie. Uh, as great as were the miracles performed by Jesus among the Jews during his mortal ministry, they could not compare with the marvelous things seen, heard, and experienced by the Nephites. The great miracles and spiritual manifestations to which the Nephites were witnesses came as a result of their faith. Where there is greater faith, there are greater miracles and spiritual outpourings. I bear testimony that that's true, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.